Recorded on the last day of my Australian tour in 2019, I sat down with Australian DJ and producer Pee Wee Ferris to talk about his journey through music. This is the XL Podcast and my name is Mallorca Lee. I hope you enjoy the show. Here we are live for another episode of my XL Podcast in Brisbane, Australia. And I'm joined today, before he catches his flight back to Sydney, my old friend DJ Peewee, Ferris, how are you, mate? Yeah, I'm very well, Mark. <laughs> so, there's also going to be loads of listeners from Australia. Yeah, great. And there's also going to be loads from Scotland. So, maybe for those who maybe aren't aware, if you just want to just say how, how much a legend <laughs> you really are. <laughs> <laughs> no one remembers. <laughs> I've been around a while, let's put it that way. Yeah, man. <laughs> you know, but like you, you've you've dabbled in you know the scene from right from the start, your productions, you know. Is there any you know, I, I don't know. I, I started how, before you. Yeah, I know, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. I mean, how would you how would you describe yourself um to Scottish listeners? To Scottish listeners, I was probably one of the I would say pioneers of pushing a new generation of music in, in Australia. Yeah. Before that, I came along, it was purely high energy, gay high energy was club scene. And the rest of it was rock and roll, basically. Yep. You know, that was, that's all Australia was at that time. Rock and roll, you know, ACDC ruled. Uh, and anyone who knows Cold Chisel, if that comes to Australia, would know. Yep. Scottish people mightn't, but although, you know, they know, they know, you know, Danny Minow and Kylie Minow, of course. Yeah. And that locomotion uh, sound, the Scott Ack Mortimer, <laughs> that was, that's all there was in Australia. That the high energy. The dance music got that, sort Dance of music was Stock Ack Mortimer when I started. Yeah. You know, that was seen on Oxford Street, and anybody knows Oxford Street from, from Scotland. Yeah. It was the sound of Sydney. And there was no sort of new music to me. You know, when I started, it was, um, when we go back in before that, you know, the first record I ever bought was. Grandmaster Fash, Wheels of Steel. Wow, that's that was, good, man. That was the first 12-inch I ever bought. Well, that, and that, that's, that's where, I mean, that's how far back I go. Yeah, well, that was going to be my first question, you know, like, even before that, was it, was, was there a time when you thought something, you heard something special in music, you know? Yeah. Were you attracted to it? What age kind of thing? Well, when I, I was, I had a family, I have a big family, and they were all into music, you know, so I grew up with Bowie, basically. You know, Bowie and what Talking Heads. Point? What <laughs> music. But, you know, David Bowie, you know. And, um, you know, so they were always, my brothers played constantly Bowie, uh, Talking Heads. And when I was growing up, I was, we lived in America for a couple of years as a kid. And What kind of age were you there? That was about 10, 11, 12. That's a 13. great age to be there. And they have a really big college scene in America when I was there. So you could go to see bands underage at the college. So my brother, he was over there with me, and he was older. He was, you know, seven years older than me. Was that John? No, Stephen. Oh, okay. And he would go, let's go. And we would often go see B-52s or, you know, uh, XTC. Wow. And, you know, um, Talking Heads at, to 200 people. They'd do a college gig down at Stanford or we are in uh, California, 
and we'd go down to Stanford or one of the places down there in Oakland, and there'd be a tiny little room yeah. with all these new wave bands. That's amazing. And I got that's how it was. That was where I grew up and listened to music. And you know, I went to see um, one of my inspirations, all-time inspiration. One of my that I still listen to over and over and over is um, a YMO. Do you know YMO? Yellow Magic Orchestra. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Sakamoto Yama, yeah. is one of my idols. Yeah, you know, it's what musically. Japan is from Japan or something. Yeah, Japanese. Yeah. And for me, even now, one of my inspirations musically. More kind of cinematic, are they? Or experimental? Or how they were experimental techno pop. Yeah. You know, like techno as in kitty. You know, like technology pop. Yeah. Not in the techno as we know the word techno. Yeah, yeah. Because um, they used or since in the eighties, you know, they were the, one of the pioneers of using. I like craftwork, but they were—they basically copied the craftwork mold in Japan. Yeah, but they made it more poppy. And was it the synthesizers and this kind of space age sound that grabbed your attention? Absolutely. Yeah. When I saw them in California in, you know, 1980, 1980. Wow. 80 They did a tour, and I was just blown away. I just never heard anything like it. You know, a band playing with synthesizers. All these synthesizers. All set them. Up. And he he had like a System One Hundred. It's Sakamoto did on stage. Wow. I don't know if you know the system one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all that stuff's just now. Also, it's vintage since now. But yeah, it was a fortune. He had, you know, Prophet Five, you know, um, all everything, and it was just like I went, wow, what a sound! And then they had this light show <laughs> or squares. I, I hope he had his gear and shields. <laughs> <laughs> they had this light show. It's just a bunch of square lights on the, you know, like a a screen. Yeah. But it was obviously a projection, you know, light projection yeah. on on a canvas. In sequence, <laughs> it was like whoa. It's, prob- it's probably triggered with like CV or MIDI or something. Or I, I'd probably have someone playing it manually. Live, yeah. I'm thinking, it I'm so to here, yeah, no. <laughs> and but, it was like wow, this is unbelievable. Because in those days, no one had video screens and concerts. Yeah, you know, ten years old as well. That must have blew your mind. It, it completely did. And at the same time, because this is all at the same time, you got all the new wave stuff, yep. which is all since like Simpson influences. Then you had this t- technology change. And uh, there's also the disco market still there. Yeah. Because even though disco was sucked, which it did at the time, you know, that era, disco sucks. Yeah, yeah. And especially in California, everyone hated disco. It was like, you know, I was an Australian boy and they wanted to hear ACDC. And I hated ACDC at the time. Yeah. Um, I love them now. I think they're really cool. Yeah. <laughs> but at the time, I'd go to people's house and they just wanted to hear, you know, Highway oh, to Hell, you know. And, yeah. Or, you know... Um, Doobie Brothers, that was the other yeah, one. Yeah. I mean, Doobies, it was California here, you know. So it was just constantly Doobies on the radio and you go to someone's house and there's ACDC. So I wasn't part of that. I just like the new wave stuff. Yep. You know, I liked, to, you know, I was a big fan of Talking Heads. And and it was definitely two camps. You weren't really into, if you were into rock, that was it. If you were into like new yeah. wave and electro pop, that was. I was outside, let's put it that way, yeah, musically, yeah. you know. And so, I mean, that's just an amazing start just to go 10 year old and checking out. It was. Unbelievable. I mean, sort of bands, man. Oh, it was really refreshing because you come back here and you couldn't get in to watch them. You had to go to a pub. Well, that's what I was going to say. You yeah. know, then you're coming back to Australia and with the greatest respect, you've been to California, pretty much in the cutting edge in the, the chorus yeah. circuit. There's nothing close to it. Well, the band home, scene here was phenomenal. It was really ah, okay. pumping, but it was all rock. Aussie rock. Or there was a really good underground sort of techno uh, technology um, new wave pop electronic sound, but it was still 
in very indie. It was like the, they were influenced by the New Order, you know, yep. big, big time, big by the New Order sound. Uh, or, you know, before that, you know, who was before, you know, what are they called before them? Joy Division. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that sort of mesh of electronic with rock, you know, yep. that sort of indie sound. So they, it, well, that's where they were at, but I was still underage. So I couldn't go see it. Yeah. So I'd have to get my brother's ID and pretend I was him. You know, it was all paper in those days. Yeah. So you could lie. They look at me and they look at me, oh yeah, you're really 18. I went, yeah. <laughs> they let me in. <laughs> and even in, you don't know what I look like on the radio here, but I don't look that old. <laughs> Even though I am. <laughs> and I look really young in those days. Dance music's Peter Pan. <laughs> and somehow they let me in. The bouncers probably felt sorry for me, I think. Yeah. They just, oh yeah, who cares? The, the problem with that kid's got balls. We need to let him in. Yeah, it's just like, if he's going to come up here looking like 12 year old, try to get an 18 year old. They made me sign his name. Oh, right. Oh, yeah, okay. Whatever you're in, you get <laughs> So I'd go to these pub gigs and see Susie and the Banshees and, and wow. Simple Minds and, you know, yeah. they were great days. You know, it was just one big stroke and that was it. I mean, Susie and Banshee's live, I loved it, you know? <laughs> Simple Minds is one of my favourite yeah. bands as well. They were great they, live. that's that synth rock kind of yeah. fusion. Yeah, I love that. I, that's what I was really influenced by, I think, like a lot of dance people now. Yeah. The synth sound. I mean, a lot of early Simple Minds stuff, to me, it was like, you know, they were using 4-4 dance. Yes. Yeah. Before you even would call it dance music. Absolutely. You know, also yeah. there's other bands there as well, but that one was for me that I was I liked when yeah. I was younger. That blue album, well, you know, the scenes that which the theme of great cities, yeah. unbelievable. All, one of my all-time yeah. favourites, and it became a. We talked about it last night. Maybe an old dance track that you know, Corporation One yeah, should play actually right. on this. Yeah, should play that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you listen to the, those albums now, and I think they still sound as fresh. They do. Is it because there's the synthesizers in there? Do you oh, think it's just making it a bit more timeless? I think so. I mean, when you look at, listen to the, the Dave, I mean, the Yazoo and all those sort of pop stuff, they were really clever, yep. you know, musically. Even though they didn't sound at the time, they sounded really simple. Yeah. But it's pretty difficult to do. Yeah. And they were really catchy. You know, I mean, those t- tracks, used to, they're really, you know, um, um, clever. Mm-hmm. But they sounded really simple because they didn't, the layering, musically, it just sounded really dinky like a kid thing yeah but it that's what that at the time compared to rock and roll at the time or all the west coast layered rock stuff which was big production yeah you know they'd spend a year doing it and they had great production but it was very different when you use a synthesizer they didn't put many effects on it you know they didn't have internal reverbs yeah, or delays just using <laughs> well, maybe even creating some of the sounds rather than using the sounds out the box because it was just since that you made the stuff on as well, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, they did. They and they, you, you couldn't look, you couldn't save many sounds generally. Yeah. So you had no one could sound the same. Yeah. So everybody sounded differently. There's no factory every night. Every <laughs> gig. <laughs> the tuning would go. So yeah, that for me was um, really got me interested. I think musically. So and what, before that's early. What, early so that was when was that? That was would have been between eighty and eighties. You know, I was still at school. So the 80, early 80s. Mm-hmm. And then uh, even at school at that time, I was listening to, because I was a big fan of all the Japanese stuff, you know, from Sagamoto, that, that got me sucked into it. And they were really experimental. Like from YMO, YMO, the three guys from YMO, which is Yellow Magic Orchestra, they were extremely experimental musically. They were one of the first to use samples, even before the Trevor Horn, you know, sound, yeah. with really weird stuff. Like, you know, they'd use found objects, 
in a different way than what Trevor Horn and those guys were doing, the ZTT, they would just use like ambient stuff, really odd stuff, yeah. you know, like the cricket sounds and, yeah. but with an ambient track. And that, well, I loved ambient music. I really got into ambient and, you know, which is, it's built from that whole new wave with uh, um, Talking Heads with Adrian Blue into Eno and, you know, they're, yeah. they're sort of, you, you, as we were talking about, we read, you read the credits yeah, <laughs> and you start looking thing. for it, yeah. you know, John Hassel, you know, which was, loved John Hassel sound, which was ambient with the horns, um, uh, Trudy Collin. Eno and David Byrne done an ambient album, didn't they? Which one? Um, Brian Eno and David Byrne from Talking Heads done yeah. it. I'm trying to think, Byrne and Bush, I can't remember the name of the album. Uh-huh. That was like a full, I think that was like one of the first ambient albums, but then yeah. YMO might have been doing it before these yeah, guys. Yeah, they had some really odd stuff. And it wasn't like classic ambient, it was like odd. Right. It was different. It was, they. that's where they started to change because they just did weird stuff. It was, there was no logic to it. It was like- I wonder if the And guys- you probably know a track that the club started to play later on that, um, um, B2 Unit, which became a big techno underground here from Detroit. You know, um, one of the, who was the big Detroit DJ, you know? <laughs> Here we go, I'm not forgetting. Who was the big? Yeah, really, you know, um, who was Jeff Mills, Yeah, Warren one of the Jeff Mills. One of them guys. was playing the B2 unit and it became a big underground electronic hit, like yeah. uh, like uh, Trans Europe Express did uh-huh. for, for uh, all the hip hop boys. And so if you go back and he'll still play it now, the remix of that. And, uh, that that was an experimental dance electronic thing, but they were doing weird stuff without beats and weirdly weird noises. And without thinking what it was, just experiment. It was just experimental, and you can still play it now. You go, it just sounds new. Yeah. You go, what is the hell? It didn't make any sense. Yeah, but it was magic. Yeah, but they would put melodies into it, which I liked. You know, I really liked the fact that they could do classical melodies over the top of it at sometimes, not yeah. all the time, but where. Okay. Would you say that's that's you kind of first seeing dance music seeping into into my life? Into it was. your life, not club culture, but was it still the bars it, and that? It was still? nothing to do with nightclubs. It was yeah. just purely musical. Yeah, and I'd never and I never really decided to become a DJ. It just happened, you know. My because, brother became a DJ, and because maybe you've got the access to the records and well, I was younger turntables. Well, nobody did in those days. You know, you're lucky to have the records. Yeah. And then when you did a gig, you'd have to hire it, or you went to a club and they had the gig, uh, the equipment. I mean, I, my, when I first started, I got—I don't know how I got sucked into it. I think my brother started DJing, and that sort of influenced the whole. Oh, I like, you know, the fact that you know, party music. Yeah. You know, because you know, you, like a lot of—I have a lot of hats musically, like a lot of people used to do. Not so much now. <laughs> I like lots of different music. Yeah. You know, there's a time for just fun stuff and there's yep. a time for weird stuff when you're cooking, you know, and yeah, cleaning. Yeah. Just always part of your life in the background, yeah, isn't it? absolutely. You know, you don't want to hear the same music 24-7. No. So, um, you know, my brother started DJing and I was like, yes, it's pretty cool. And I was still underage. They were doing stuff and... Doing their own parties or just... No, he, he started doing... What did he do? Because he had a band. My brother had a band and we'd go see the band and then that's where they sort of started doing parties because they were doing band stuff. And they went, oh, it was still a party at their home. So that sort of led to, from the house party to oh, okay. doing, it, doing it at a club. And getting back to where Sydney was at that point, you didn't really want to go to a gay club if you were straight because you're going to get picked up. Right. <laughs> or chatted up. Yes. Or embarrassed. Yeah, you're like, no, no, I don't want to be here anymore, you know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. 
And you know, you'd end up going you know, in the early days as a straight boy going to a sleaze ball. I've never been to sleaze ball in Sydney. Because you're, <laughs> you're, you're chasing the music, but that's the only place it's playing it. Absolutely, you're chasing the music and the sound system. You go, oh, this sound system yeah. phenomenal. You go to the midnight shift, and I was really young, I got dragged out, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the sound was blowing my head off. And of course, it was like, it was great, but I had to watch where I was going. I yeah, didn't yeah. want to be. <laughs> didn't want to go to the toilet alone. No, <laughs> no, no, no disrespect, yeah. but that wasn't me. Yeah. <laughs> They've just seen this fresh young yeah, kid yeah. and a bit of fresh meat. So, anyway, so I. Um, what happened after that? Hang on. Um, you lost, I lost so my point. So, this is you basically going out clubbing? Yeah, I'm just trying to think how I first got into it. So, I, I got sidetracked, I got um, influenced by my brother. And then I started buying records, that was it. And I was preferred the electronic stuff, right. where he was into soul and funk and, yep. you know, more, he liked James Brown and all that sort of stuff. And I wanted more electronic drum machine. When the drum machine came out, the sound, I wanted to play drum machine. And that's how I got, when I, all the electro stuff, the Mal Parish, all the yep. early electro, I loved. And he, no one else liked it. I just liked it, you know, the hip hop stuff. Okay, okay, okay. And I wasn't DJ at that point. It started to start, didn't it? The electronic music, you know, like, I really get a hard time because I think, you know, like, all the traditional musicians really bad-mouthed electronic they music. They did. You know, you're just pressing a button, there's no drummer, there's no, no soul. No soul was what yeah, I always yeah. got. Oh, this has got no soul. Yeah. Yeah, why are you playing this got no soul? It's boring. But, so I started buying records purely for me, yep. not DJing. You know, I remember all the, and the hip-hop stuff was a big influence um, and that anything with that sort of sound, you know, um, um, a lot of the early funk, electronic funk stuff, uh, you know, the D train, love D train, yeah. you know, anything like that. And what about electro? Was that quite big? You yeah, know, like, no, it wasn't big, but I loved it. Yeah, all I was, this sort of break dancing kind of stuff. You know, and that, all that. Uh, you know Planet Planet Rock. Yeah. Oh, that was one of my all-time favorites. I still play it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's when I started DJing because I realised no one was playing it, and I just wanted to play. You know. Um, that's that sound. So how did you get into the uh, DJing then? How did that come well, about? Well, I remember getting, what I did, I wanted to get into it and started buying all this weird stuff. And then I left, finished school. And then I was, oh, I thought oh, I could do this. And then I tried to get work. And of course there's no work in Sydney. You know, I was, and then you had to, and if you did get work in a club, you had to know how to do it. Yeah. So I bought a, a belt drive turntable Belt drive. People don't know what that is anymore. Yeah. Just <laughs> it's one, or did you have the two decks? Just one, yeah. and a tape deck. Oh, that's right, you yeah, yeah. And I used to try and I started teaching myself because you know I knew you, I knew the system how it worked. I just didn't know how to do it. So I'd have the tape deck on and then try and mix in a belt drive with the tape and wind it. You know, you'd have to wind it with you, wind it up. <laughs> wind you did. <laughs> and in those days, try to mix electronic music with a traditional funk stuff like. Car wash was an all-time favorite. You know, try and mix car wash with a drum machine. The first 32 bars changes tempo from you know 108 up to 116 yeah. within 30 16 bars, and you had to keep it in time. Try to speed it up. Yeah, so you had to keep winding it up to keep yeah. it in time, and then it would speed up, and you had to slow everything down again. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and it was a real talent. You had to really know your records because it didn't hold time. So you had to practice. Well, now and you have to know your records inside. Yeah. Out. Now I could, I could deal with that with my with my ears blocked. Yeah, I could just watch it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this is not automated, here, you know. Um, so you had to practice. So and your first gigs are you taking out a tape deck and one? No, I didn't one? do it. That's why I practiced. Right, right, okay. And then you go to a club, 
and they all had basically really basic um, techniques. You know, they had a little bit of pitch, but just, it was like a little roto, little dial. It wasn't like a side swish. Yeah. And I remember getting um, a couple of little baby gigs playing, you know, the first gig I got was at Ladies Night. And- What's Ladies Night? What's- oh, Ladies Night, they have a strip show. Oh. <laughs> <For> ladies. <laughs> You know, you play, they'd be playing, yeah. you leave your hat off, Tom Jones, yeah, yeah. you know, all those classic songs. So. <laughs> but it's getting you out, you're learning your trade, you're cutting your teeth, aren't Absolutely. you? Absolutely. I was cutting, and it was a gr- really, really good club. A friend of mine got me a gig and I had to play crap music, but it was a really good uh, club. It was one of the best. It was, it might have been the first super club in Sydney. Wow. Called Jamison Street. And they had a really cool night on the Tuesday, which I didn't do. <laughs> My brother did. Because <laughs> oh, you just you just get your foot in the door. You're yeah. still learning your trade. So I was doing ladies' night, and it was not easy. You had to play everything, you know. Request, chain chain request reaction, you know, Diana Ross, anything. Yeah. You know, yeah. you just had to play it. Just fucking drunk women coming up saying, you got to play Tina Turner. Well, no, you didn't, you didn't get bothered because in those days, the DJ was up on the gods. Ah, okay. Like you had to climb up a ladder right. to get into the DJ box. Oh, that's good. No hassle. Yeah, and it, it was like you'd... Basically, have monitors, but you didn't had no connection to the club. Mm. It was like, well, the DJ knows what he's doing. He doesn't even need to be down on the dance floor. Yeah. And the, the club sounds was phenomenal in those days. Everyone had big W bins, which would push this air across the room. Yeah, yeah. And you go, whoa, my heart's like pumping. <laughs> and that was it was, but you know that's where I started working, just playing anything. And once then a week. I, once a week. Night, yeah. yeah. And then I thought, well, why don't I just start, we open a club? You know, play, and then I can play what I want. And that's, we opened a club called Stomp. It was in Darlinghurst. Oh, wow. And a small little place. And How many people was that holding? Well, we, we hold about 200, but it was open all night. So you could get a change, people come, come yeah, in and yeah. go in. But it was, we could play anything. I played anything, you know, like uh, mostly electro, hip hop and house. When house started, that was the beginning of the house music scene. Yeah. And, and are, you then, seen, are you seeing at this time, was this before dance music's infiltrated? Or are you seeing that slowly? This was the very beginning more? of the Sydney dance scene. What kind of years is this? This would have been 80, 86, 85, late 85, 86. And so it was basically my would come on and play, I would play a mixture between the electro hip hop stuff. And that was the very beginning when, uh, and funk stuff, so, you know, like one of my all time favorites, Sexomatic. That was groundbreaking for yeah. me, uh, that bar case, that kick drum, that, that sound, that kick drum sound. I need to hear it again. I'm oh, trying you, you to listen remember. to the sound of the kick drum. And that's when they all started having samples for kick drums. Yeah. You know, not, not a drum machine sample. It was like they had an AMS sampler, which was all the big studios had them, but nobody else had them because they're too expensive. Fortune. And then they had one second or two second sample. But, or if you're lucky, you had an Akai. This is before the Akai's yeah. just started. I had a, I remember the first, uh, after these sort of gigs, I got a sampler and I would have a sample when I was DJing and I'd put my, had a foot pedal. So I used to have a kick drum sample on an old uh, Roland sampler. You know, I don't know if you remember the real rack with the little yeah, kind of yeah. floppy disc, the big yeah. floppy disc. And I have a four second sampler and I have floppy disc. <laughs> and I'd load in my kick drum and I'd have a foot pedal and I'd play old funk stuff like Aretha Franklin and I'd kick, use my foot as a kick drum. Oh, wicked, And i go, boom, you know, play respect. Yeah, just to beef up the ball, yeah, man. Yeah, and, and here I am, stopping my foot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'd play respect and then I would go into pump up the volume and mix them all together. Yeah. So I'd go from pump up the volume into respect, 
But because Respect had no bottom end, I'd get the kick drum. Yeah, just to hold it. And I'd hold it. And then I'd mix in the next song as I was doing oh, it. But I'll hit mine. And they were the days. I had so much fun. And I would play, um, you know, a mixture between Eric B. When it first started, that was a little, little, little later than 86, just after that. Yeah. And I'd mix up early hip hop stuff with funk stuff and then into house stuff. Working. You know, that we were talking last night about one of my all-time favourite was Back to the Center of the Crime um, by Mr. Freeze. you got to look it up. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty, <laughs> you know, it's that's where that sound becomes, Freeze. Right. You, you yeah. know, everyone says, yeah, Freeze. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was from that. And that was one of my mega hits. We had this club. And this is a little bit late. Just after I was to stop, I got this gig caught at Soho and it was called Melt, Meltdown. And that was groundbreaking in Sydney because we, me and the DJ called Stephen Hawkins used to rotate and he was from the gay scene and I was from the straight scene. So we had this mixed culture in Sydney. Mixed crowd bringing everyone yeah, together. Yeah, and that's where it started to change in Sydney. We had a mixed culture with all the gay scene wanted something cooler and all the straight people wanted something different. So we had this really mixed, it was great. So we had It's tapping into that dance music vibe and it's bringing everybody together, isn't it? Was it was really good, you know, because you'd go out and you'd meet people from all sorts of cultures, really creative people, uh, doing all sorts of stuff, you know, designers, yeah. musicians, you know, creative. It was really, really, really interesting. You'd meet people everywhere doing all sorts of great things, all having great fun. Yeah. And uh, there are mixed music all over the shop. It's great fun, you know. No rules. No, no rules. I mean, you'd go into, you know, obviously Marshall Jefferson, you know, house music all night long and, and then into the when it got later, you know, Reese, you know, which is one of my old time acid stuff, mm. all the early acid house. So we, it became hip hop and acid and house all mixed together. Yeah. And where are you buying these tunes? Where do they come well, from? Well, there's only a couple of record stores in Sydney and you get a shipment once a week. And you fucking on that, like that, It would be one copy of everything. That was it. Wow. And I would be there first and I'd get the only copy. Opening. I would just hassle the hell out of them, say, hold everything. I'm coming in. Yeah, I'm coming yeah, in. Yeah. <laughs> and they would... I got that after because I knew I was getting the gigs, so they would wait. So I got the first pick of everything, and they, they couldn't reorder it, so they'd have to wait six weeks. That's if they could reorder it, yeah, because the money was cost so much money to ship it to out. Ship it over here, yeah. yeah. So they wouldn't want to order two in case it was bad. Yeah, so want. would you be telling them this is fucking huge? You know yeah, what? they'd wait for me to play it, and then if it worked, they'd go, "Oh, yeah, let's order it again." But they would wouldn't play, order it straight away because they didn't know. Because a lot of the shop guys, they didn't really go out. Yeah. And they rely on me to go, yeah, it's really good. Yeah. And then people would ask for it. So they have to order it. So I have a track like Mr. Freeze and it took them six months to get it. So I was playing it for six months. So everybody had to come out. Well, but that's that's what we spoke yeah. about as well. You know, it wasn't on the radio. There was no such thing as an internet. If no. People wanted to hear this type of sound. And if that was their favorite record, they yeah. had to come to hear you. You couldn't hear you on the radio. It. And that's the difference, you know, in that you, you'd go, oh, what is that track? You know, it's like, I know you got soul. I, no, I don't even know where to get it. It's not out anywhere. And I can't get it on the radio. I can't get it from the club, from the uh, shop. Better go to the club. So did, back then, did you have a DJ name and all that? Was you on flyers? And, or, or was yeah, it, yeah, we had flyers. How, it was did all, the, how did the DJ name come about? What was, well, it was a nickname from when I was a kid. Right. So my father was, you know, Peter and I was... You know, I was always the young one. Yeah. I was, so I was Peewee, you know? So that just was your nickname and that was your DJ that, name. It so, just was my name. Yeah. Yeah. And a, and a lot of these people, 
you know, they probably would associate those tracks with that's Pee Wee's track or yeah, something. They did it 100%. Isn't that mad? Yeah. That's unheard of now, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, I had so many songs that I broke. You know, um, you know, the, um, you know, Raise, 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 you know. God, I've got a, I've had a blank here. We had a late night last night. <laughs> <laughs> and break, for break for love, break for break love, break for love. Yeah, watch um, you, man. You know, that was one of mine. I know it became a big hit after, but, but. You I was playing it first. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, this is the thing. I mean, we are literally on the other side of the world, which it's not the easiest place to get to. No. You're getting these tracks. And in many ways, you know, in like Ray's Break for Love, you're, you're sifting through loads of tracks. Yeah. And you, there's, there's something in these tracks that you're hearing yeah. to decide to play it. Yeah. It was just purely if it was different. And like, and it's, it's that's for me what DJing is all about, having that courage to go oh this track is going to work even though you hey it's not what's going down now you know yeah. and that's a skill yeah you're going to you love know. this in three weeks time <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're going to be they're going to be asking yeah. you they're for gonna, it in a month's time or whatever i mean they're going to hate it first listen but then they'll realize hey if they once they listen to yeah. it they'll go yeah it's got something i remember you know i shouldn't jump but i could jump here <laughs> i i mean i'm so the Oh, let's go through that. I'll go back to. We're going to come back to you about we'll this. Come back we'll to come back. Well, maybe what we should do here just now is, if you could maybe just pick two tracks from. Well, back what the, the next? What happened next? And now this is where the tracks. Right. We got into from there the gay scene and the straight scene became this big mesh, and suddenly this phenomenal um, party scene started, where where it was combination and the parties took off in Sydney in '88. Like it was really our summer of love here. And we had parties up ten thousand wow. every month, and then it was became every week. Where, are these open air? Are these in, no? These where were in the Port Bavine, so it's a big venue. And you know, where I remember we would get guests like we had a diva, Grace Jones, big artists, and we had the Hacienda Boys, you know, Graham Park, Mike Pickering, and they were blown away. They took this is London has got nothing like this. Yeah, you're telling us they were coming over with a records and suitcases because yes. it wasn't even flight cases that's invented right then. nothing they had no really we were at the at the, the forefront of club club world in the at that yeah. time in Sydney it was like groundbreaking worldwide and every everybody who came to Sydney went we had no idea this is happening and it was it was phenomenal it was because they probably thought they were at the fr- forefront yeah they were in the UK and then they're coming here and there's parties of 10,000 back then I mean we weren't making the music but we had the crowd, yeah. you know, and, you know, like, and that's, I was playing, you know, we'd go from house music, it's 10,000 people banging away with all, you know, all the house stuff. And then we'd throw on Soul to Soul in the middle of the set. Yeah. And it would just go ballistic, you know, it was. And you get that kind of cheer and all that for the change in the music and all that. People just get right on board and it? it's not like, whoa, what's happening here? Yeah. They're just in it for the night. Yeah. In it for the, and, you know, no one danced for the DJ. It was purely dancing for the music. Yeah. It was not facing the, the DJ. Well, I was going to, that's what I was going to say. Everybody's dancing in pockets and groups of friends and all that. Well, it was that. packed. Yeah. But they, yeah, they danced with each other, looking at each other. Yeah. You know, and then, you know, they turn around and look at somebody else, turn yeah, the other yeah, way, look yeah. at somebody else. Yeah, and you'd meet every, and they'd meet everybody on the dance floor yep. because they'd move around. So you knew everybody, yep. even though there was 10,000. I look at photos now from back, you know, on the Facebook, they put them up and they go, oh yeah, I remember that guy. And you'd see all these people that we used to dance all night long. Yeah. And they did dance all night long, you know. Amazing. <laughs> Um, so well, we and then it got really commercial. Got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. We, we can get into that, but for now, 
maybe if you wanted to try and pick two tracks, you know, they don't even need to be dance tracks. It could yeah. be like the earlier ones from the college clubs and stuff that, you know, you went to in America. I, I mean, my all time favorite from that period would have to be Reese, just the chance, you know what, just chance or whatever it's called. Yeah. That, that really drony acid track. Okay, dope. And another one? Another one? Ah. Oh, I mean, uh, this could be pre-dance music if you want. Okay. Oh, oh, pre-dance music. Okay. I mean, we should put on Sexomatic, what do you reckon? Sexomatic, that's a Yeah, Barcase. Just because that kick drum. That was that blew me away, that kick drum sound. Sounds like nothing now, but... Is that the one that you sampled and then put in through yeah, the... Yeah, I'd put that in, absolutely. I mean, that's fucking brilliant. I've never heard that been done before. Yeah, I mean, you know, that, you know, that whole Trevor Horn thing did influence me purely this sample get the sample i better get one and that's that got me into production stuff purely because it was one way to do something different i don't yeah. know why i started doing it but i just it's and then awesome. have samples of noises and what words and you know like the um it takes two sample you know you play yeah. along with it <laughs> just loop it around yeah. but you couldn't loop it or you could loop it you never hold time yeah but you just trigger it and i still do it now i still trigger I just see they're triggering buttons and stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> On the CDJs. Yeah, I'll see you, Joe. Well, let's play those tracks, then we'll come back and we'll pick it up. Oh, well, let's put on, oh, you know, we've got to put a follow the leader, Eric B and Rakim. So, it's only two here. Oh, sorry, no, okay. Come on. It's, oh, it's, okay. I know it's hard. Oh, it's hard. <laughs> so, right, give me, okay. give me one from pre-dance and one, one from pre-dance. Oh, should we go for something extreme? Why don't we go YMO? Because I bet you haven't heard it. I think that's a good one. Okay, let's put YMO. What one? Um, oh, uh, firecracker okay yeah it's it was sampled a lot right so you'll know the sample when you yeah, hear it I look forward it. to hearing that then it's it's um yeah firecracker and then um mm. you've, you've picked a good few other ones there and I reckon the race just a chance right. let's do that and then we'll come back
listening back to the tracks still sounding as fresh now as back then do you think yeah well those tracks you just heard they've really sampled a lot yep. they, they even made presets now called reese preset if you have wow. a look in your plugins on silence there'll be about a multiple millions of plugins called or presets called reese and you probably wonder why why is it called reese it's like this drone you know and that's from that <laughs> that's from that <laughs> and they reproduce it yeah but the name stuck and I, I don't know i've noticed it i just keep seeing these presets going oh yeah they remember that track <laughs> and you're connecting the dots back to the original yeah the original they wouldn't know that yeah yeah but it was a swing hi-hat feel on a house track and it was you know it still sounds fresh now i reckon and the more you're djing the more these you know you're getting these big sort of I guess the raves before somebody's went. This is a rave, you know. Like, it wasn't a rave. It was a. It was a party. Are you seeing a slow change? Of the, like electronic dance music is slowly becoming more house music, acid house. Yeah. Are you seeing a sea change in the music you're playing? Well, or, I. Or is it just a, a gradual thing that you're not aware of? It's like, as a DJ, and you probably know that you always look for something new, you know, and something to inspire you. You can't. I mean, we even though we do, we play the same stuff over and over. In the classic sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, um, you're always looking for the next, next hit, or next, not hit, but next something that you like. And you, it, things develop and change. And musically, everything changes, you know. And, you know, it, it started to get so big that the sounds, people started to split in their own direction. And, you know, like the hip-hop, people who like hip-hop, went only with hip-hop yeah people like house music only like house music and and people like started only playing that yeah and that was sort of in my opinion a, a bit of a problem because i liked lots of different things yeah and i remember i went to london i did um tour with id i don't know if you remember id magazine yeah, like, yeah 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 i did an id tour through europe and london oh, wicked. what year is this oh god i think it was 90 yeah with i was with kid bachelor and i remember kid bachelor I know the name. He yeah. was a house DJ from London. Yeah. And him and Mark Moore was doing, I think, at one point. And yeah. And come the other guys. We did Italy as well and a couple of places. How did that come about? Were they over here? See me no, well, I was, I was nominated top 100, DJ Mag. So I got the top 100. Oh, 20 something. Yeah. What kind of number was you in? I think it was 25 or something. Amazing, well, man. Yeah. And that was when it was like a, you know, that was other DJs picking DJs or something. Or was yeah. It and I was probably the first Australian DJ to make that. I never knew that, mate. Yeah. So I was the top 100 DJ in the world. Yeah, well, a big thing. I can hell. <laughs> Did you know it was happening? Was it just... It just no, it was just... I just heard about it. And then um, for some reason, I was going to London at the same time. So it was perfect. They said, yeah, we'll come do an interview. So I did an interview for the mag and, you know, got big press and did the tour with ID and... And it was just sort of just fell into place because I was doing all the big parties in Sydney. Yeah. And they already started touring. So we, they did an ID tour in Sydney as well. So I think that's how it sort of started. Yeah. You know, I went back there and did it there. And then you go over to London as well, buying even more records. And- Absolutely, went buying new records. And that's where it, it starts to change again. Because suddenly I got all these other records I couldn't get. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and I found all the Belgium stuff. You know, the early, oh, yeah. I mean, Belgium Frank DeWolf. Stuff, yeah, unbelievable. And I, when I heard Frank DeWolf, the B-sides, all that stuff, oh, I man. went, oh, man. <laughs> yep. It was great, you know, and no one was playing that. I remember getting it going, wow. <laughs> you know, That's kind of like the roots of techno, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. That, to me, is the beginning of rave, in my opinion. You know, even though there was, the, the, you know, obviously the uh, breaky stuff, but mm-hmm. it was sort of a similar timing, really. There was a Belgium sound and the UK sound. Yeah. 
uh, and all stems from all the hip hop boys speeding it up all right oh, it's a yeah. funny combo really and also, also the Manchester stuff we've forgotten or the um, Balearic stuff it's sort yeah. of melon it was weird weird times really you know music but yeah. exciting not weird in a bad way weird in a good way yeah and you know I was good mates with Oakenfold and how did that come about well he did two in Sydney he did a gig in Sydney in 80 he was the first two DJ one of them he did a club where I was working at at Meltdown it was a small club where we did you know I was talking about and you know he was playing all the stuff I liked we were talking about the Simple Mind sample the Corporation of One that yeah. themes a great city and he loved what I like you know hip hop uh, electro all mixed together and, and house music like yeah a, so we got on really well what can I use this this is 88, 89 right. and right. when I went to London went, come see me and he, just, he had all the new tunes because he was working for what was he working for FFR or? yeah I think it was yeah, yeah. and um, he just gave me everything that's amazing <laughs> isn't it you know, all the all the all the, all the uh, acetates yeah and wow. you know, I just had so many records. That's gold, isn't it? Man, yeah. You were just like, I can't wait to play these. Uh. I had all these acetates. I remember I had CC Music Factory before it came out. Fucking of, hell. Of getting, you know, getting you a sweat. And I went, yeah. wow, what a track. <laughs> and I came back to Australia with all these new sounds, you know, that included. And and all the Belgium stuff and all the ravey stuff, you know. And they hated it. <laughs> <laughs> You've changed people. What I came back. To you I came that? back and I played this big party, ten thousand people. You're buzzing, wanting to play. And they're just looking at me, going, "What is he playing?" <laughs> <laughs> they didn't know anything. Yeah. I played a whole set of new stuff, like a whole set. Yeah. <laughs> and they looked at me, going, oh "My God, what has he done?" Yeah. But you'd kind of seen the future a wee bit by seeing, yeah, maybe playing these tracks in the UK or whatever, and just going, "He's a fuck." I, I, and I, you know, and also at the same time, I was going to Italy and I got all the. Um, the Italo stuff yeah all the Irma Irma records you remember Irma records yeah 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 yeah. they were groundbreaking that that soft house company you know all the piano stuff and they were so on it Italy back in the day weren't they they were so on it It, that that sound in in Rimini and uh, that area yeah um they were great. Then they gave me everything as well. I went over to see those guys and they goes, here's all new stuff. Were they coming over to play in Australia at that no, time? No, they were just, just that, on this ID tour. You got they were working on that. Wow. And I, they gave me all their stuff and Soft House Company, which is a mega classic now. Um, you still play it now. Um, and they, I came back to Australia and they hated it. That's <laughs> mad, isn't it? I pushed too far then. But again, we, we touched on we were having breakfast this morning <laughs> but remember like when I was saying I probably I noticed it maybe early to mid 2000s when a lot of Australian producers and artists were breaking the UK and Europe and and, and I seen or I felt like I seen for a Australia attacking the world and bringing their sound to the world and it was great to see because I'd you know, I'd been one of them coming to Australia from, from like early 90s and it was always loads of internationals, but there was always amazing guys like yourself holding down the scene. Mm. And it was just great to see that. But, you, you know, you were genuinely one of the guys that cleared the path for other Australian DJs and Australian artists. You know, there's always that. Yeah. There's only a small handful of people that, you know, cut down the trees to make the path easier well, for the people coming after them. People don't understand it's easy to get a music out now, but yeah. in the days, it costs a lot of money. Yeah. You know, besides this, your studio. Studio time and um, equipment. And just getting a deal to get it out because you couldn't pay for it. I mean, you could, eventually you could pay to get vinyl if you had the money for yourself. But in Australia, you couldn't get it pressed. There weren't any plants. 
yeah. or you have to send it away or there's one plan or it was not easy to get a white label test pressing. Um, so you relied on the major companies and of course the major companies didn't want to do anything fresh. Yeah. So you ended up like I started doing remixing for pop acts or rock acts. So, so what kind of years are you starting to get into the well, production? Well, as, as I did all these big parties, they go, oh, why don't you do a, why don't you do a 12 inch of it? So I did the first 12 inch I did was Holiday Rap, MC um, Micah G and God, what's his other name? You know, the Holiday Rap with Madonna's Holiday? Yeah. It was a big hit in Europe. Oh, ah, okay. And so I you've did, done a 12 inch mix or yeah, with the remix? Yeah, I, I was really, I was a big fan of um, Latin Rascals and Shep Nunes, the, the editors. Right. And they used to do all the edit breaks for all the hip hop artists. Ah, okay. Yeah, and I was a big fan of editing. So I started, taught myself how to edit. And this is a bit of a story here. Have you got time? Of course we have. <laughs> well, as I just started to get into the scene, I broke my neck. What? Yeah, this is in between what I was talking about. I broke my neck skiing. Fucking hell. So I got a C7 fracture, you know, so I was out for six months. And luckily I- Couldn't move or? I was in a halo traction, the bolts in my head. Jesus. Yeah, so I was out of action and I didn't have anything to do. So I just basically taught myself editing, tape editing on reel to reel and studio stuff. So I had a sample at that point. And I spent six months doing that and mixing and just doing music. Like sit, like, that's all I did all day, every day, because yeah. I had nothing else to do. You know, I couldn't walk around. I mean, I could walk around, but I couldn't do much. And I got, I got really good at it. <laughs> And I, for anyone who doesn't know if you want to describe that, you know, because that's cutting tape and all that yeah, shit, isn't cutting it? cutting tape, yeah. So I do, you know, it takes a lot of time cutting yeah. and pasting and putting it back together again. And you'd have to use your break. I was a big collector of breaks. Even before I started, I started crate digging, you know, as we all know. <laughs> Going to the record secondhand stores and finding breaks. And this was part of that because I would cut it up. And that's, I was listening to all the DJ Red Alert, New York, you know, all that hip hop stuff. Yeah. And I loved all the samples. You know, I was a big fan of where the sample came from, who, yeah, how yeah. to find the sample. Hunting it down and all that. Yeah, hunting yeah. it down. And it sort of fell into, all fell together when I started having this time off. I sort of started working on it. And I remember I started doing my own edits of 12 inch edits of songs. And then I'd get my mate who was on Triple J, which is a big radio station. It was Double J at the time. And he would play it for on the dance show. They had a dance show. Because the party scene edits of these big dance yeah, tracks. Yeah, so I do like um, you know a twelve-inch edit of a Stomp Johnson Brothers. You know, this is in the, and I'd make a cool remix of it. And they would you call these remixes? What were they? Oh, did you even oh, give them names back then? I think it was just mine, Monday Minor, I think. What Pee Wee Ferris remix? Yeah, sort of and then, so that's how I got into doing remixing for the major labels. So they go, oh, why don't you do a remix? So, but you've done this as a as a just as a, as a hobby yeah, kind of thing yeah. and then your mate's playing it on the radio and yeah. then, there's, then the, the labels are saying can we yeah. put that out and then I got a radio we did a radio show while I was um, broken neck so I carry my reel to reel in <laughs> for play because <Fucking laughs> I do it at home with a four track yeah. and I used to overdub it you know do really wild stuff and then went, oh, well, what you do a remix so I got I started doing lots of remixing and then and in those you do it with your tape or are you going to have a studio to do Yeah, in the studio. And they'd, it just by chance, you know, they said, come and do a 12-inch edit. But then they had the master tape there. And well, why don't they just take the bits of the master? And so the guy said, yeah, okay. Uh, it didn't, it didn't, I didn't think you were doing well, that. You're chopping up the master? <laughs> yeah, but I had a multi-track. And I said, well, why can't I just mix it? He said, oh, all right. 
It's so, a big studio. Yeah, how would you go on about doing that then? Well, what, I just had bringing any of your own equipment, or I, was just using I, what all was I had was a little sampler and a little. I had a little roll and sampler, and I had a roll on MC five hundred. You know those old sequencer, yeah. yeah, and a couple of. I think I had a keyboard or something too, and no, I didn't. I just sort of at that time I just went in for edit, editing because they had all the equipment in the studio. Yeah, so I just used what they had, and so I just start mixing the master tape and then editing it, and that's just by chance. And then suddenly. I got all these remixes and doing it in really big studios, like, you know, 70 channels with, you know, two 24-track multi-tracks. And I had to, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. Yeah. And, so an engineer in there helping and you with equipment? Engineer, or, yeah. But I was starting in the deep end and going, you got to do a mix in one day. Fucking hell. And I'm going, and I don't know, you don't know what in those days, you had to stripe Simpty and lock in to a drummer. Yeah. So you couldn't just put it on a multi-track and, and warp it and try it back in time. You had to stripe it and then you had to pull a click, hand tap it, get the trick track in and then sync it to a drum machine. It was a- Fucking hell. And it was a nightmare. <laughs> and then you get to get anything back in time if you want to change the drum sound. So you really had to know what you were doing if you wanted to do a remix in those days, just to change the drums. Yeah. Like now- You try to work out the signs before you can even start fucking- Before you even started, you had to lock into it in time and drummers didn't keep time. You know, it's all mad as fuck. <laughs> and then you could trigger the sample from an AMS for the drum, and it was be a you know, ten, uh, hundred milliseconds out of time. So you couldn't use that. So you had to record it, then you dub it and get it in time again. Yeah. <laughs> so suddenly I was in the deep end of how to learn in a big, big mega studio and yeah. with no background in music. <laughs> and what I mean, I haven't got a clue. You're totally in at the deep end. I mean, what sort of were these big commercial tracks? What, yeah, what are the big ones? commercial tracks like. Um, uh, I mean, anyone who knows Craig McLaughlin, he was in Home and Away. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. I did remix for him. I did lots of big rock people, you know, Boom Crash Opera. Um, Just these guys want like a dance edit kind of No, thing. they wanted a dance version, yeah. Right. Rock track. And I wanted to make a remix, a big time remix, you know, change everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I hadn't got a clue what to do. I just went, I'm just going to go for it. <laughs> these ones getting big radio plays and all yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah, they, they would put it out, major labels. So they put it out as a B-side on the, on the single. And, you know, eventually it became like the release. You know, they started to go, oh, we can make money out of this. Yeah. So the, the major layers started to support the remix. You know, it was like, oh, they don't mind spending money on it. You know, and you just have to do it in a day. So you had to pre-program it without an acapella, without the music. And you couldn't sync, you know how if you want to do a demo remix, now you could put a multi-track it on your computer. Yeah. How would you do it without any any link sync at home in those days? You yeah, couldn't. I know. So you, you had to figure out. Okay, how, you guys got to play it on a tape deck because that's all you had. Or if you're lucky, you had a, a beta a digital system. You remember beta tapes? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's fucking mad. Isn't I know. It? And you try and go. How am I going to do this? And uh, so I'd have a beta. I'd stripe the beta with Simpty, put it on that, and try and lock it to my drum machine. With, I had a sync box. Yeah. <laughs> and then, so eventually I got more and better and better and better and better. With yeah. tech, like all good techno guys now, you know, from that generation, you know, like- You're just always looking for the next bit of kit that's going to make it tighter and yeah. easier and- Yeah, I mean, you know, in the old days when, you know, all these earlier Ravac started, that's what they did. They'd have a, you know, the 303 and CV everything together yeah. and lock it. And it was great because it went out of time. <laughs> Well, that's it. Sometimes that was part of the excitement. Yeah. So while you're doing all these productions, your DJ's grown. Yeah. 
So that sort of went hand in hand. I was and one of the first. Are you starting to DJ more all around the studio? Everywhere. Have you been to UK and Europe? I was doing every night of the week. It was really good. But not not much overseas. Was, Australia was so big. So yeah, we yeah. didn't need it. You know, I didn't need to go over there. Yeah. It was purely if I wanted a holiday because I had so much work, I didn't need to. Yeah. And it was good. Sydney was good. You know, we paid, they were paying well. We didn't need to. Yeah. Not like now, but and <laughs> are, you, like that. are you seeing there? Uh, I know it's a shame what's happened to Sydney, isn't it? We're not going to go there. Yeah, we could get there. Um, I mean, are you seeing just dance music becoming a force? It was an explosion, you know. That whole, um, it, and I did a big, at that same time I got this uh, pop act that um, I produced. I did the album and single and it went number two in the country. Wow, what, you know, what, what that was, was that? Colette and it was the first pop really, it was, she was sort of like a was Kylie Minogue. Pop dance kind of thing? Pop dance. She was really tacky. It was great. You know. Good fun to do. Yeah, it was fun. You know, it's like, you know, doing Kylie Minogue. It was that big. Yeah. You know, it was, that's the only way to describe it. She was wearing her hot pants and you know, either you love her or hate her, but she was popular. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And for you, was it just a challenge to, to make it was great. Let's put this music together, or? yeah. No, well, you know, I hadn't. So they got me in with a, a programmer. So even I program, but you know, we had a combination of a, a, a muso with me, and we yep. did the whole album. And so I did my first album, and then got lots of albums after that. I started doing all sorts of stuff Actually after that. Producing all yeah, bands other and all people, a lot of local acts. Um, they were only locally, you know, in Australia. They didn't really. Um, some of them went overseas. But it was hard to break overseas at that time. Yeah. Because it was, for some reason, record companies didn't work well together, you know, unless you're mega. Yeah. You know, you had to make it big time in Australia before they even looked at you. Yeah. And Collette was big and they started, it did get released overseas everywhere. But it, it was a different world in those days. It was very difficult to break outside. I'm not sure why. Did top- you find it hard juggling this kind of pop production and still being like a. Dance DJ. What else we do? What's your job on that? Well, what I do, I do a B side. So I do a really underground mix. Like, for example, I do a, you know, a um, inner city style remix on the B side. Yeah. You know, make it more with more a stab, with it with a stab sound. You know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> with that, with the days, put a stab in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a rave stab. Stabbing a solid nine on yeah, eight. Yeah. A solid bass sound. Yeah, that'll yeah. do. <laughs> where do you? Where did, did you buy? Start buying your own equipment and all that. And yeah. Where are you getting it? Oh, but they had lots of music stores and a lot of people still, because no one was collecting classic synths here in Australia, I, it was easy. I could get anything, you know, because people just had it and go, oh, I don't need it anymore. I want to get rid of my Profit 5. And you'd buy it? I'd buy it. So I had two Profit 5s. I had two Jupiter 8s. I had oh, two 303s. I had 909, 707, 727. I had everything. Yeah, but I, went- I had a big mega studio and it was all synced because you couldn't record it, multi-track it. Yeah. So you had to have it live, yep. you know. And people don't understand. Yeah, had to. You had to leave everything on. Yeah, because you'd lose the sounds you were working on. You lose on. the sounds exactly. I'd mini moog. You'd all go out of tune. You know, yep. it was great. <laughs> Fucking hell! Have you still got that stuff? No, nah, I got no. rid of it. I wish I hadn't. But yeah, I wish I was. I wish I'd kept some of mine. But but you know, yeah. Yeah, times change sometimes. Yeah, man. Can't go back on it. So so I started doing my own work, my own music, and you know. It's what kind of years that's you're starting to put? Are you producing oh, stuff and releasing stuff on the I remember I started, the first track I did, I did with that ID tour. I did on a track and never remember what got released, but I played out. So I do my own songs and play it. Yeah. And never get released. I just started playing, doing this just stuff. Just more DJ tools kind of thing for you? Well, the DJ songs, but it was sort of underground that wasn't really, 
Because I didn't sing, I suppose that was probably my downfall. I couldn't sing. No. <laughs> probably getting another singer. And I, but I didn't have a studio, so you. Ah, okay. You, I had a studio, but I couldn't record. And I just, I just got into techno. You know, the techno. I didn't need vocals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, just by coincidence, I liked it anyway. But sample a bit of vocals. Or yeah, I, I, well, I did that, and I did. Uh, you know, I, um, you know, then that's I did put out my own stuff eventually. In uh, what year was that? You know, I had a big had a big hit in what year was eighty five? No, hang on, no, 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 ninety. So this is ninety. So after that rave scene, um, when would you say the rave scene peaked? Peak in Australia. What you're seeing? Oh god, that's a toughie that one. Because uh, uh, to me, um, rave's a funny word because it, it, it became cha- it changed. To me, a rave was like the classic rave. You know, like the warehouse rave. Yeah. And dirty and just smoke, you know, just strobe. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. That's, that's all you need. That, and that, to me, is the 90, 91 rave sound. And that's rave to me. Mm-hmm. Once it got harder and harder, I don't really call it rave anymore. Even yeah. though it was rave music and it was fast and hard like we all like, but... The happy hardcore stuff is quite hard. I don't know. Uh, I, I know it's ravey and it became rave, but for some reason, I just remember the beginning as the rave and yeah. the rest of it was more hard. Even though it was a rave, but you know, like what well, was that gig we did was one of the best raves in Sydney. It was that in, that one in ninety. I was ninety three, I'm sure. <laughs> and that was at a farm in back of Richmond. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. That was fantastic. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, it was really good. Was that the Music Dance Mania Australia? Was that? I think it was mixed up, at MDMA or MDMA, one of those. Yeah, yeah it was one or two. Phenomenal. Yeah. Um, everything was moving, and it was a, a farm. Would you say that's like? Was the peak of the? Uh, I think that was the peak of the underground. Right. Okay. Yeah, because after the Horden parties, the Horden parties were really big. It wasn't ravey. What were they called? The Horden parties, right. and there was a mixture between grey and straight. Um, they started to get shut down because the government didn't like it. You know, they didn't want it going on, so that got they lost their licenses and stuff. So it went underground again. Yep. And then the all the English boys heard about this scene in Australia, as they do. Let's go for a holiday in Australia. And then they didn't leave. <laughs> and started they liked doing it. their own parties. And, and they started doing their own parties. And then suddenly you've got this sort of swell of English style raves, which were a mixture between Balearic and, uh, you know, mixture ravey, like the, the typical... Um, Breakbeat-y kind yeah, of break rave. Whatever, yeah, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And that started. And you sort of mixed that with the Belgium-ish thing. But it predominantly was more Englishy. Uh, yeah. Welsh, was it Welsh crew that we would put them on? You know, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're dodgy as anything. <laughs> it's mad. It's mad how like you know a lot of the, maybe the English guys that come over feel as if like, they created the scene here and all that when it was it was already happening before. Oh, yeah, yeah. They they just they knew how Tapped to do it on the on the sly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, you know what they do? They just go to a warehouse and mascot, which is in the airport. They'd cut the locks, break into the warehouse, set up the sound system, and then we'll be on. Until it get closed down. Yeah, and the cops couldn't find it because it was always a phone number, and you'd only know about it at that night. You'd ring it up the number, and they'd tell you the address. Yeah. So the cops couldn't didn't get wind of it, and they were really good at doing that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so it, so it became. I remember doing the first gig, Carl Cox came, and it was you know two hundred four hundred people. It was small, so they were small yeah. at first, and and then it got bigger and bigger and bigger, and they got the thousands. Yeah. So it got, and that's when you popped in that was probably that where it got to that yeah. level and then the cops started to get oh we don't like this anymore and they started to try and find it and you had to be legit 
you know, and got bigger and bigger again. But it was good, really good. Yeah. And it was exciting. And lots of, and the music got faster and harder and harder, you know, as it did. And then it got, it, it kept going upwards from there. And it's been a long rave scene, really. It hadn't gone away. <laughs> yeah, it just kind of changes, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, even touching on one of, one of the ravers brought out one of your mix CDs for yeah. you to sign. That was like one of the first mix CDs I think I bought when I when I was over in Australia. Yeah. Because I used to love buying CDs. Yeah. Sample CDs. Yeah, before the same, see, we used to put out tapes and you could sell them at the record yeah, shops. Yeah. And that was great. You just do a tape and print it, print it up and sell it in the shops. What year was your first mix CD? Mix, well, that was probably the first CD, that one you've got. Yeah. That was 90, 95, 96. And then was that a series or something that you done? A little series of mix CDs? Uh, I did a lot of mix CDs after that, yeah. yeah. But a lot of tapes before that. Yeah. And then they went, oh, we can get licensing on this. So they had to get the permission. And then it became much harder to do, you know. Did you do the usual thing as well where, you know, you get the, you work in the record store to even get more records and you, are you, was you balancing that? Was you doing any central station like that? I know that was a big... I was always... You were always in and about there. Always. That was part of the drill. You'd have to go to the record shop when the shipment came in. Yeah. Yeah, that never ended. <laughs> Every week. That was twice your internet, wasn't it? That was yeah, your that was the internet. You'd always go in there twice a week, you know, for the all shipments. All the gossip, all the records. You get a US shipment, then you get a, a UK or Europe, or you get a UK shipment generally, and a, Euro, a UK, a US shipment. And then sometimes you get a Europe once a month or something different. Did you ever get any tracks that were like white labels and you called it something even though that wasn't the name oh, of the Oh, many track? times. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, then they started copying all the British shops, yeah. you know, where you have a label, a shop with just white labels on the wall. Yeah. Before that, it was a little bit more like an old-fashioned record store. You know, they have a box in the corner and you'd have to dig through it on the ground. And then it suddenly became, you'd have a DJ going, yeah, got to have this, got to have this, mate. And what, they say, what is it? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you go to Soho, you know, then you get, there you get bombarded with all these new tracks, you know, yeah. all white loves. And it became like that. And and that's where it sort of divided from the, the, the so-called pop dance up to the underground sound and different genres and all yeah that. and it was a really exciting scene because you had lots of people doing it and sydney had enough people going out it, it was great yeah. you, you know you could fill the clubs five nights a week and there wasn't any licensing laws no nah, it's great and then was it a lull because in the uk we had that kind of lull i'd say like 97 98 when like this uh no it got harbor. bigger was it bigger here yeah i mean for me that was really big because i hadn't I put out an album and I had, a, I'd put out a lot of album, mix albums, like I got artists that I produced Yeah. and you know, I had a, you know, top, top, top five nationally. Brilliant. Uh, and then, uh, you know, gold album, gold single. Um, yeah, I was doing well. Awesome. Yeah. But what, was the, style, what was the musical style? I sort of like JX. Right, okay. Commercial dance. Yeah. You know, that sort of... What, a sort of big club FFRR, sound? you know, the pop yeah. stuff they put out? Or who, Who's Tunes? You, uh, who's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing Yeah, label. that sort of sound, you know. What would you call that? Sort of commercial dance, really, isn't it? Yeah. Underground? No, I, I, I can't there's that touch of underground in it as well. Yeah. But what what I was kind of seeing was... And it, in the UK, it was like this kind of... The, but at the same time, I was doing club, which is dance stuff. And then I'd go to a rave afterwards. Right, so okay. I'd, go, I'd have a club gig. Which so I, the, there wasn't a lull? No. Because there was a kind of no lull, lull before trance exploded in the UK. No lull. Scotland at least. We didn't have a lull. We had, we was powering. Wow. So I'd have a club gig where I'd play all that, you know, the, uh, it was, I suppose you call it energy music. 
you know, whether it was um, you could play hard floor or anything. It was sort of, it was still yeah. underground, but it was poppish yeah. with a vocal. Had a bit more vocal or sample vocals. Um, but it wasn't, it didn't go to that 160. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Music just got too far. It got fast. too fast for the commercial people. Then that kind of broke away and it sold yeah. and gabbas and hardcores yeah. and all that. So which I was doing both. So I do a pops thing because I had a pop, which sort of, it sort of hurt me in some ways because I, I had a big commercial reach and then I do a hard set. Yeah. And underground they're saying, oh, yeah, he's, he, yeah. he's sold out now. What's he doing and all that? <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was, it was good. I still got mega, mega, mega gigs. It was good and touring right. continuously. Um, but people got confused, you know, because that's when it started to go, I'm like house music or I like happy hour. Yeah, yeah. You know, for me, it was the start of the the problem. I think long term musically, for me, what people divided, yep. and I think dividing was is has killed a little bit of what's going down now, in my opinion. No, I agree. You know, do that's you, me do you personally. Think looking back, you should have done different aliases. Are you no, happy? No, I, I, I mean, I wish they followed. I, I don't think I had a problem. I put an album out, and it was mm, too much choice. Mm. You know, it had breakbeat. It had. Um, dr- um, just what you were, didn't it? Big beat, you know, remember the big yeah, beat sound, yeah. you know, the Chemical Brothers, they had that. I had, you know, dance. I had, you know, you know, like that sash sound. What do you call that now? Euro, um, down, I don't know what I you call it. So sash, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Um, but you're just trying to It's basically all trance, really early yeah. trance stuff, you know. And but yeah, I liked it. You just try to encapsulate all the stuff that you liked. Yeah. And it, it, it sort of, it worked for, it was a little bit too far ahead of the time when I did that. That was, that was after the big pop hits mm. and they sort of went, what is he really like, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but since then, it sort of became more fashionable, but it sort of keeps, everything goes in waves, you know? Yeah. You, sometimes you're a bit early, it doesn't work and then, you know. <laughs> sometimes you catch it and you can ride that wave for a while. <laughs> you can't have, you can, no one can tell what's going to happen. I mean. And how did the, the sort of, well, the super club type thing, you know, the home. Well, that was a, there. How did all that come about? Well, that was a super club period as well. We never stopped in Sydney. Like that 96, we opened, you know, where I'm still working now, uh, supply, well, Home Nightclub, which was in London. You're still there now? Yeah, I'm still Fuck, there. Wow. So Home moved, they got money from the UK. So they came in here and decided to build a super club. And um, I opened it with Oakenfold and never left. I'm still there. Wow. <laughs> 23 years later. Exactly. <laughs> and what kind of music you play now? Still well, dance it or was, is it right across no, the board? No, it was pretty much trance. You know, like the early trance stuff because, you know, from the progression from all the rave into trance was really logical for me because yep. I liked the Belgium and I liked the rave. So when it came together, like the Pulse, ro- Pulse Driver, all that sort of um, um, gate crusher sound. Yeah. yeah. That's the only way to describe it really, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, it was huge. And in a super club, it sounded great. Yeah. It's one of those sounds, it's got to be in a big club. Yeah, you know, definitely. big system, big air, lots of smoke, you know, but that light show happening. And the super club could do that. You didn't need to go to a rave for it anymore. We had the super club. And would you say, would that be your peak as, as a DJ? I, I think, think you were like, I'm fucking smashing. I reckon so, because we had 2,000 every week wow. and lines out the front every week for. Literally, we were powering for 15 years, powering, 2,000. And we couldn't get any more. I mean, you sometimes they get two and a half, which we weren't supposed to, but you couldn't really get many more than that. And they wouldn't leave, so you didn't get a flow through. They just got there and then, like, that was it. They didn't leave till seven in the morning, right. you know? And it was great. How long was your sets? What was your kind of set length? Um, 
mostly two hours in those days. Yeah. And it was a couple of us rotated. And it was good because we'd rotate. So, so you could then do your traveling gigs other places or? Well, was, yeah. Th- that was your night, you were there and that was it? Uh, normally I used to do that on Friday and travel Saturday. Yeah, so I didn't need, you know, I had a great gig on Friday, so yeah. I just stay there and just travel every really? other. It was, and it was st- I'm still there now. It's not like it used to be, but yeah. it, it, people remember that now more than anything, only because I think the older people that be in the Horden days that, you know, not going out anymore, you know, yeah. but were the, the 2000 people, which was peak probably in 2000, they still go, they still remember, yeah. you know. The glory days. The glory days. Yeah, they yeah. don't remember beyond, before that, like, yeah, yeah. you know, they don't remember Shades of Rhythm and all that sort of yeah, stuff, yeah. But, but, you know, they remember the 2000 songs. Amazing. All the man. Gatecrasher songs, you know. So, if we could maybe pick two tracks from then, maybe like... Oh, good, okay. I mean, you can't, I don't want to be obvious, because everyone's heard them, I'm just trying to think. Maybe just ones that were massive for you, like, at your, at your residency or... Oh, jeez, hey? Mm. It could be like one from home and then one from a... From uh, an earlier residency or Okay, oh, okay. Um, or even one of your own productions. Yeah, why not? I could play that. Yeah, could I? What did you put Genesis on? Right. Yep. And that was, I mean, I still play it now. Is that one you're most proud of, would you say? I, I, it was it's huge. I mean, you know, I remember um, Paul and I was playing it before me at a gig. Didn't know it was mine. Brilliant. <laughs> And you're not ready to play. You're I like, don't play my track. That, that's like the unspoken rule, isn't it? You don't play the other guy's music. You're like, he was like, really? He was shocked. Brilliant. <laughs> and TSO was playing it. They were all playing it. They didn't know where it was from. Excellent. It was great. Yeah, that was, it was not as pop. It didn't hit the pop market, but it was big like on the clubs. Gushing. Yeah. That was, you know, it didn't make the, the, the national charts, but it was in the club charts, yeah. you know, and, um, and the other track that, maybe another one, uh, quite a rare one. I remember I did it on bootleg. It was a good one. I should play it. Yeah. You'd like it. It's a mashup. <laughs> uh, Tommy used to play it. He played an essential selection and a fat boy. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, La Funky Bus, which is a funky side for me. So at the same time, I was still doing funky stuff. Oh, okay. But I never got rid of like hip hop roots, but funk stuff. Just never get rid of it. It's good that you've just sort of just went, fuck it, I'm doing what I want. I, I like that attitude of, What's, you're not getting trapped in a genre. It's sort of good and bad. It sort of hurts. Yeah, it works for it works for you as in, I think you're just letting yourself go creatively. Yeah. But it's other people of the problem. Yeah, with it. that's right. They don't understand. Yeah. But they understand how you can be means of hats. Yeah. You know, but I, that's what I like, you know, and I used, you know, um, I'll put your, La Funky Bus is a, me- a mesh of it, all sorts of stuff. It could never be released. Right. <laughs> but it came out on a white label, uh, on a, a French label. So it was a big underground hit. But are we? <laughs> so we'll put that on. So yeah, that's we'll play those two tracks and then come back for a chat. Yeah, absolutely. I have to send you those. <laughs> <laughs>
riding high, smashing it like you're saying, you know, Sydney, you, you've not really had a a lull. But I mean, it's not all good times in, in this scene. I don't know, sometimes you just get fucking hit a wall or, you know, sometimes the business sucks, is there anything that's just yeah, really I mean, you down? Yeah, I mean, you know, the record companies want to rule everything. Yeah. You know, I, I haven't got any I haven't got any respect for the major labels. The business you is know, the and thing I'm not the only one. Up. Yeah, no, I'm the same. Man. Look at the all you've done is look at Michael Jackson with you know, he tried to sue Sony because Sony was ripping him off. Of all the artists you want to rip off at the time, yeah. their biggest act and he was they're ripping him off. You know, I mean, every artist it's goes horrible, through it. Horrible and no one business. talks about it as yeah. much. It's a fucking horrible business, isn't it? Yeah. They just want to, they're greedy and they don't want to control everything. Mm. And, you know, that's how they run it. It's like, you know, it's it's not all businesses like that. They've actually learned. The banks have copied the record company mold, yeah, <laughs> in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. Corporate has copied record company mold, and that's how they run it now, I think. Yeah. You know, that was a good breeding ground for the modern world. You know, record company logistics. You know, how do we screw people? And, it, and life's like that now. It's the craziest fucking business. You know, any other sort of thing, a guy's going to build your fucking wall in your home or fix your plumbing there's a price you get paid you do the job there's yep. satisfaction there cut to the music industry so many fucking grey areas oh, man you can get yeah. screwed left right and centre you know. give somebody a record they don't pay you yep you know fucking you know yeah. a record's a success people are coming out of the woodwork wanting fucking money yep no one talks about it but, no you know I don't mind talking about it I don't care I mean I'm have you had your fingers burnt oh I got sued you know like everybody has you know, probably not successful until you get sued I think that's the rule, isn't it? Well, why is it they say where there's a hit, there's a writ? Is it which? A writ. You know, like a, a lawyer's letter, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Excuse yeah. Excuse the accent. Yeah, Excuse yeah the I was going, what, a writ? <laughs> so, I mean, what happened to you? I, I mean, I, 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 because the record companies didn't want to pay, and there I was, we were all make all these studios making making the market, and we were putting out our own, we wanted to put out cities and make a better cut. Record companies didn't want to give a cut. They just want to make all the money. So you're putting mix CDs or this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, a couple of the independents tried to do it themselves and license everything. And, you know. From I, the original labels. Yeah, and I knew the deal. I knew how this, the law, you know, the copyright worked. You know, I'm no, uh, but record companies didn't care about what was right and wrong. They, when they want to squash somebody, they just go, let's sue them. Yeah. They don't, and they just put a big PR company, PR against you. Like they did, they tried to get me for copyright, which they won. Only because they know how to use the law to make them win. Yeah. And they've got a fucking incredible budget to do whatever yeah, they want. I mean, you know, it's like, it's a long story, but, I, you know, I did this compilation album, got all the clearance. Licensed all the tracks. I didn't right? do it, but I let the company and I got the paperwork to prove it. And I said, because, I, you know, I know how it works. And instead of suing the company, they decided to sue the company to go and squash them, saying you haven't got the copyright. They went after me, the artist, saying, well, I should be liable for the copyright even though it's not my label even though you've done it and put it out on another label the business should have well no they, they, the label <coughs> uh, booked me to, to do, do it, it yeah. but I had an agreement with them they have to do copyright I'm just the mixing it yeah but they went for you personally they went for me personally which is unheard of yeah that's a bit fucking mad and instead of going to normal court they went to supreme court and it's a different world than supreme court which I had no idea of <laughs> wow it's so, what are they coming so complicated what, what was their argument that you had they reckon because my name was on the label, on the cover, that I should be held responsible for the copyright as well as the label. That is insane. It's like saying, you know... Um, what year is this? Oh, God. Mm, 2003? Yeah. And they, they had obviously planned how to... It's like... It's like... Um, 
you know, you hear all these stories in America, how they want to screw everybody. They know what they're doing before they start. Yeah. How are they going to screw you in the big, big time? And they know that if they can tie you up so hard and so yeah. fast in, in court that you, to fight them, yeah. you need hundreds of thousands of dollars just yeah. to fight them. And, and this is fucking a brain drain and as I, well. And you know, I'm Mr. DJ. I'm not the record guy. I've got that sort of money to fight. And so I had to lead the record. In my opinion, I had a contract with a record company that they have to fight it. And it wasn't my responsibility. But they didn't realize how serious federal court was, Supreme, or if not Supreme, federal, uh, that you can't, you got to do it a certain way to get information and lodge your paperwork properly. And they know how to do you. Yeah, do that, yeah. yeah. Suddenly I had all this paperwork when I go into court that couldn't be put in as evidence. Because it wasn't filed? The day because it was too late to file it. Oh, fuck. You know, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, you got to be kidding me. Oh, no, that's how it works. It's like... And you're paying out thousands and lawyers and solicitors. It's like and, you can't win. Yeah. They, and they, they just put you, paint a picture. You're, you know, this, there was a time in Napster. They wanted to squash Napster. Yeah. So look at any angle to try and make people stop yeah. downloading illegally. So that put a lot of pressure on you mentally. Oh, yeah. Tons of stress. And besides, you know, mega money on it, you know. And they, you know, they win. You can't fight yeah, it. Yeah. You can't win. Well, that, that's the thing. They've got the money to just know all the dirty tricks and how we extend yeah. it. Yeah, and-, and, and, you know, since then, I just don't want to know about them. You know, it's like, why do I care? And that actually brought it down. Or I didn't want to put up music with anybody, you know, for that reason. I didn't trust anybody. Yeah. You know, because- that, That's what it is, isn't it? You just don't trust the business. No. You know, it's like, what's the point? I don't want to go through that again. I'm just going to do my gigs and not worry about it. Yeah. You know. Did you think for a minute, fuck this, I'm done, I'm out? Never done it out. More of a done, I'm done with them. Yeah. You know, not done with what I'm doing, but done with them business. And and since then, you see all the big majors and the A&R companies, A&R guys, they haven't got a clue what they're putting out. Yeah. And it's terrible. Music's died, you know, and you can hear it. It's just crap. Yeah. I mean, and I'm not the only one. You know, name it here in the last five years that you like. You know? I know. I mean, you know, it's pretty hard to remember something. <laughs> There's very few little kind of bands that I'm kind of gravitating towards. You know, yeah. Been, that's been for a good while now. Yeah. Once in a blue moon, I'll find a new band or a new artist. I say, right, they're doing something really yeah, different. Yeah, but, but it's, it's been, not like it used to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, the record company, it wasn't about the, the creative side. It was always about purely you had to stop anybody else working against us, you know? And they used me as an example, you know? They let other, they sort of shot a few DJs at the time, you know, me, Nick Fish, you know, Paul Hole, and a few other local yeah. guys. For some reason, they didn't let me off because I was the most popular. Well, I was going to say it's probably because yeah. you were like the fucking, the and, top man there, the one and, Yeah, I was like, they all said to me, all the labels, oh yeah, we know you're innocent, but we, it, we're sort of, we can't get you out now. I went, why not? Just drop it. Oh, yeah, but it's the other company because they all got together and ganged up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we can't. That's bullshit. And they all say, I wish we hadn't, you know, 20 years later or whatever it was, they say, oh, we should have done that. (laughs) It's like, well. It's one guy against the fucking. Thanks a lot for telling me now. I was like. So did you end up losing loads of money? Yeah, hundreds of thousands. Fuck. Sorry to hear that, man. Yeah, it was like. So, yeah, I have a bad vibe about them. Even now, you know, it's like, I don't want to work with it. Just gets the heels in your back, don't you? You know, I've got no qualms about saying I'd never work with Dennis Hanlon, you know? Yeah. I mean, even though I do stuff with Sony, but, you know, I'm not going to trust them ever again. Yeah. You know, they're dirty dogs. I'll work with them, but I'm going to make sure I'm going to get paid. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, just, I mean, when have, when have you ever heard a story where an artist, an act, a DJ, 
a singer has been paid for what they were promised. Oh, it happens all the time. It, it does. And it's almost like an accepted thing. Oh, you, you know, they don't pay you. What do you mean they don't fucking pay you? Yeah. You know, you don't get a builder into build you a house and then go, mate, I'm not going to pay you. Yeah. You know, you get you should get paid for what the work that you've done. But yeah. for some bizarre reason in the music industry, it's like almost like an unwritten law that that's not the case. Yeah. That they've got carte blanche on ripping you off. And if you don't do it, they'll get some other guy to do it, you know? Yeah. All these bands and you see these kids in like X Factor and all that, you just know yeah, they're know. going to be getting the piss ripped out of them from the yep. start. They'll never make it, anything out of it. Yep. I mean... The record label's making crazy money. But you know it, these kids? It's. It, I mean, they do it because they need the break, which yeah. is, I understand that. But, you know, just killing people's career just because they can, which is what they do, Yeah. you know? It's horrible business. And, and, and it goes vice versa, you know, like, I don't know if you heard the Katy Perry lawsuit, you know, like no, people not. suing over a riff that, a sample that was copied from something. And it's just like, it's such a a, a bad case, but they won. And I don't know but how. But was it a direct sample? No, or? it was just copying a riff, a, a, a melody down that's been used in thousands of tracks. But they've just went Katy Perry's millions. For some it. reason, the lawyer, they won. I don't know. And yeah. once you win, they win a case, they, they know they've got a, a, a um, something to work on next time. They, all these, the lawyers have killed the industry in and the world, in my opinion. The lawyers, you know, the banks, the companies, everybody. The lawyers don't give a damn. They just want to screw people. It's a double-edged sword, but as well, right, if you look at back in the day when it was like sampling was an unknown thing, so hip-hop guys were sampling, putting records yeah. in, it really did rejuvenate the entire music industry. It did, by far, yeah. But then the money and the sales got into it, and then people were realising, yeah, I'm missing. More so the record labels, I'm missing out on millions of dollars here. Because yeah. this guy's had a number one hit with one of my samples. yeah. And but, I feel, and I do feel sorry for the original artists who's not getting paid. Yeah, you know, if yeah. I sampled one of your songs yeah, exactly. and I had a big fucking hit, and yeah. you never made a penny. Yeah, I agree. I I completely for, agree with that. I think if you sample something, they're making a lot of money. They should get paid something. Yeah, yeah. But with my situation, I had all the paperwork in place. It was all legit, and they knew how to screw it. You know, that's intentional. It wasn't like a mistake, or you know, like you know. Uh, you know, all the old hip hop stuff where they used to sample, make money, like the De La Soul samples. Yeah. You know, they deserve to pay the original artists. Yeah. They probably didn't, the original artists didn't deserve the money they got out of them. You know, they went for everything. Yeah. That was a bit unfair. I think they Again, just, I think that's De La Soul, Three Foot High and Rising. I think that was another one the industry made a point of they fucking did. the guys, didn't they? Like, yeah. let's, let's screw these guys. Yeah. And then they lost, you know, 100%, yeah. didn't they? Of I all think the samples. So. They lost yeah. a lot of their publishing. I mean, yeah. I understand. You know, they should have come to an agreement, you know, but they didn't. They just wanted, yeah. that was that whole Namster period, yeah. you know, the Metallica. Panicked and locked down, didn't they? They just Lock it down, yeah. So, getting out of all that, where are we now? Because I, mean, I remember talking to you like mid-2000s, you were doing soundtracks for, I think it was for Air, you know, like, um, fucking, I can't even remember what they're called. I was going to say Air Stations, Airports. Who? You were doing soundtracks for music for airports and all that. Which I, this is years ago. I remember you tell me airports. Yeah, it was like music for I don't know if it was for a plane or. Oh, I could have done that. Yeah, yeah I did a few of those a long yeah, time ago. I, that, so look, I've done lots of weird stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, that was one that stuck in my head. I think you'd done music for a. Well, probably the uh, the one you an could, airline or an, an airport or something. I couldn't remember. Well, I mean, well, probably where people think I've well, I've got changed a bit, which I was lucky to get. So I did the Olympics. Yeah, you know, that's what I was getting to. Yeah, you know, that's led into that. Yeah, because I mean, 
I, I was Sydney Olympics. From done. a DJ doing music, composing music for the Olympics was you know I was I was the first one to do it. Even though I think uh, Armand did a mix sometime later on, a couple of years later. Tiesto I was the first. Well, but you bet them too. I was the first. <laughs> That's amazing, man. How did you feel getting a call? That was for fantastic. That? It was. They'd gone through a few people to do it, and they they went, well, "You want to have a go?" And I went, "Yeah." And I had I the, the gig was in August, and they didn't employ me till May. And this for that's for these sort of gigs. That's you, you normally you know this is like last minute. Yeah, yeah. And it was great. You know, I had to, I ended up writing more music than anybody for the whole show. I did what forty minute, minutes because it was opening, closing, and fireworks. So Amazing. I. Was, was great, you know, it was the best gig I've ever done, you yeah. know. Was there a lot of pressure there or was you quite relaxed going into it? I didn't feel it. I think because I was so late in the picture, they just wanted it. And they wanted a world influence thing. And as a, me, as a, a mashup DJ, like, you know, I've been all music, yeah. it Tech suited me perfectly because yeah. I liked everything. And I knew how to put it together where a lot of musicians don't know how to do that. They just, they get one thing. And that, for me, West worked well because I'm, you know, like lots of styles and I can yeah. put it together. So, so it worked, being all, all over the shop works for me for that sort of show. Yeah, well, I mean, that's it's, it's a, been a path right through your career, you know, pretty eclectic. And, and since then, I've done a lot of shows like that. Yeah. So it's sort of, it's been a good um, career change in a sense, you know, for progress from DJing into that sort of uh, big, big, big budget shows. And, you know, Olympics, there's nothing bigger. Is that, is that more where you're, you're, you're spending a lot of time? I spend more time? time now doing that, yeah. I mean, the Olympics is four or five billion people. You know, it's the biggest yeah. show on earth. It's no still, pressure. No pressure. <laughs> but I didn't feel it at the time. If I do it thinking about it now, I'd probably yeah. go, shit, what am I going to do? Yeah. <laughs> Fucking amazing. So I've done a lot of shows, like, and I'm still doing that now. I mean, I did, you know, World Expo and, and Asian Games, a couple of... Uh, Brilliant. And what was you talking about yeah, last I'm night? I'm doing now uh, the cricket. cricket. Yeah, T20 World Cup opening. So... For the, so it's, it's producing the music for the sound bed for the actual. I'm doing the. I'm the music director, so I, yeah, I produce all the music. That's get the acts. And are you bringing in other tracks for the sounds? Yeah, so it's a show for the world. You know, 1.5 billion people. And, you know, it's, That's amazing. It's a good gig. It's different. You know, it's not. You wouldn't have thought you would be doing that as a DJ. Let's put that. That has no musical background. <laughs> But, but then again, look at the apprenticeship you've had, and you know from from those early early gigs as a kid, going, I'm into this music thing, and then yeah. DJing, you know, you're cutting a path, making a scene. I think you know, look, when when you you know, that's how I just think it's great to document these stories. When you look back, you're saying, you look what I'm doing now, you know. How how's that possible? Well, when you look back at yeah, how makes you started so sense. your career, you can see how it's came about. You know, yeah, all these interests and different music. You know, you're fighting against it. You're putting an album out that you were happy with, yeah, but it was a mix of everything, yeah. And you're going, you know, how does nobody get it? I'm, this is what I'm into. Yeah, I mean, yeah. look at where you're at now. Yeah, you're, exactly. You're honing all that, and you know, it feels and, like and even now, just finished a. A uh, ambient album, another, you know, oh, and, I, I, and I love writing that stuff. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's like the essence of a trance, and it was always in in my um, something I've always loved listening to. Yeah, and yeah, I've always I've always done that, and I thought oh, I'm going to finish it. Didn't couple, I did this big show for Vivid, um, which was your electronic ambient stuff. And I went, I'm just going to keep going and write an album, and I did. Oh, what? <laughs> you know, is that you get a job. Is it, is it- well, I did this installation for Sydney for a big light show, a uh, big outdoor one, like in Darling Harbour. You know the Darling Harbour? Yeah. The whole, the whole of Darling Harbour, a big outdoor installation, big wow. one. 
like the whole area with lasers, lights, everything. And I wrote the music for it and I just kept writing it. So just enjoying it. I went, I did a couple of tracks and went, I might as well keep doing a few more. And next minute I got an album. <laughs> and it's out now. I'm, I'm, it's all done. I'm, I'm going to put that out. I'm, I'm finally going to put that out real soon. <laughs> Again, I'm, I'm, I remember talking to you. Maybe another one of my visits, I came to one of your studios in Sydney and you were messing about with, I can't remember what the software was. It was maybe an native instrument one. Yeah. And you were showing me how it, I can't remember even what it was, but I remember it was how it was randomly looping. Uh, a sample. Oh, was that reactor? Reactor. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, and I remember thinking that's fucking pretty cool. Yeah, and you were you were really impressed by just putting in a little wave and how that would just randomly fucking. And, and look at what's happened now with the yeah. direction. You know, all those new soft internal plugins seems like arcade. That's exactly what they're doing. Yeah, you know, and that's you know, it's been taking ten years, really, hasn't it? Yeah, to sort of move on. Yeah, and they're still sampling, but you can't tell. Yeah. Are, you, are you still hungry for music or are you still more hungry for creating music or wh- uh, where's your head now at all? Uh, probably more creative only because I'm not very satisfied with a lot of new stuff. Yeah. I do like the sound of what they're doing. You know, I'm, I listen for sound, but as far as melodies or something original, I find it hard to find something that's not inspiring. You know, they, they, they're sort of, sort of, there's not much depth in the music. Yeah. You know, it's nice sounds, but they don't really develop. Occasionally, there's some stuff. Yeah. Um, but I have to say, there's a lot of rep- repetition, you know, in stuff. But, you know, I'm still, look, I always look. But it gets tiring when you get 300 tracks from the record companies. Yeah. And you get, you can't find anything. <laughs> I've given up with my promo thing. I'll just go and, I'll go online and search it myself. Cause it takes a lot of time. Yeah, you get bogged down with it, I think. And you get all this stuff and you go, it sounds good, but it doesn't work. Yeah. It sounds great. Got a good bass. Got a good sound. Yeah. But the, song, the idea doesn't, it's like, I would have thrown that out ages ago. Yeah. And not done it. You know, that's, they don't. Sounds they don't, like a half finished idea or whatever. Well, you know, you get a thousand ideas. One of them's good. Yeah. The rest of the nine, nine, 999 are not. Yeah. Or they're not good enough to remember. So why well, you don't have to put it out just because it's there? You don't have yeah. to put it out. I think for me a lot, of, I think a lot of people, artists, let me down as a listener. As I feel like there's too many DJs and producers try to write music and be someone else, yeah, rather than experimenting yeah. and writing what they actually want to make. Yeah, I don't even think they know what they want to make. They don't. They'll say, "I want to do music like this guy." They just buy the ghost production. Presets, fucking buy the folder, you know, and, and they're away. And yeah. you're thinking, it'd be so much more interesting if yeah. people just wrote whatever the fuck they got into. That's yeah. when you start maybe getting interested again in music, wouldn't yeah, you? Yeah, absolutely. When uh, you're getting guys like YMO experimental shit yeah. again, you're just like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, exactly. And, but it, it's, when they're doing dance music, you know, they forget about the dance floor. They've still got to write for a dance floor. Mm-hmm. You know, it's great to do underground music, but it's still got to be dancey. Otherwise, it's not dance music, right? Yeah. It's just, it's experimental, yeah. which is fine, but they still, they get these people that play or write new dance music, but they don't actually play it in a club. And it's like the breakdowns are too long mm-hmm. or it takes too long to get going. It's yeah. like, they're not really, they just think, you know, people are guaranteed to get to listen to it. Yeah, they're probably not coming from a clubber. No, they're not. I don't know what they're doing. Yeah. They sit in the studio too long. You know, instead of going, 
Let's try it. See if it works. Is it really yeah, going to yeah. work? You know, you're sitting there playing yeah. it, and the minute in, hey, no one's dancing. Yeah. I better move on to the next track. Yeah. I've never got certain that she was saying, this is great. I mean, I did that That's last it. night. I did that. I started, you know, obviously there's pressure with the climate change thing, and I saw the press, you know, Norman got with the, the um, UN speech. For, oh, yeah. 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 So I put that on at the beginning, you know, under, under I did the acapella. Oh, okay. Yeah, you were there. You were asleep. <laughs> <laughs> jet lag. It was so jet I start, lag. I started the show with that. With oh, wicked man. With this speech. Because oh, well, let's keep it going. Let's keep the pressure on the governments. Yeah. We, you know, if we all do it, eventually they'll YouTube it over and over and over. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I did it with an old track. Because last night was an old school night. Um, a derb, an old instrumental derb. Do you remember derb? Yeah. Yep. I can't remember what the track's called. <laughs> Psycho or psychotic or... Anyway. That means I'm blank or something. Anyway, I did a... I wonder if we can put it on from the show. Well, we can pick... I think well, not too. maybe. We, we, get blind, we, we, we get stopped, won't we? Mm, no. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, I did a uh, mashup of the speech with that. Uh-huh. That's the intro. And it's great. It sounds really good. And... I look at the crowd going, is it working? Do they know what I'm listening to? Yeah, do yeah. they really remember the UN speech? Did, I, did, it, did, did they get it? I didn't think they did. I looked at them going, oh, they didn't get it. But then when it's kept <laughs> But then when I went to the crowd, I talking to them, they all went, oh, I love that intro. But if I were the DJ looking at them, I would have thought it didn't work. Oh, okay. So right. that's the difference now. It's yeah. sometimes as a DJ, I would have mixed out. Right, right, yeah, yeah. But sometimes you got to push the envelope. Yeah, as of it, course. But you know, but that's as an intro. But if it's a, if, if they always have a new song of mine that I'd done and I'd lost the crowd in the first three minutes, I wouldn't play it again. Yeah. Would you? I don't know. You wouldn't be as confident no, the next time, but no. you'd be adamant, maybe try and give it another wee push. Yeah, I know, know. But, but I reckon people write, they don't try things for weeks before they put it out. Oh, you don't get it. But that's what, they, that's what they're not the doing. That's what they're not yeah. doing though. So they don't test it. You know, like in the early um, hip hop days, you know, Jelly Bean used to do a track or all the Latin rascals, they do the track, take it into the club in New York yep. or, you know, like Confusion, you know, like Arthur, uh, um, Arthur Baker, yep. test it out in the club. And if it worked, well, let's put it out. Yeah. They don't do that anymore. I know. That's, the, that's what's changed now. They just put it out. That was a for a good when, when things went digital when you could burn your own CDs that yeah. was a great time as yeah. a producer to try your own stuff out yeah. that was kind of like our time when you know like Jelly Bean and fucking Arthur Baker's yeah. doing it we could have done that yeah you know. but I think they don't do that anymore no I don't think so I, I think reckon just they just go done it sounds good let's put it out because it sounds like this or it sounds like that there's no experimentation it's just like it's got to work and, and you notice it you can tell the people who have done it because you, you, you hear the people who put hi-hats in or really good per- per- percussion that like a house track for example you know only because there's more house tracks out at the moment um, the ones that have really good hi-hats and stuff you know they're working for a club mm-hmm. but the ones that are just bass and Hi, uh, snares you mix it in and unless you got the right crowd it's it's just flat-ish yep you know you, they didn't work in the club yeah they just went oh the song work, it'll either work or won't work well the guys that work in the club they put a bit more work in making sure the rhythm will work yep. no matter what yeah yep. you know no matter where you're playing it does it know the importance of it yeah but you know you play in a, a small room like, like like with curtains with a carpet and then you play in a room with hard surfaces it and sounds completely different yeah yeah, yeah yeah but they don't think like that they just go oh this works for radio or 
full of compression. Oh, it sounds good on my little speakers or yeah. on my headphones, you know? Like that sound guy I was telling you about, saying it's the first time he's ever played a night, done the sound for a night that wasn't digital music. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. That fucking yeah. blew my mind. Yeah. And it could because the, you know, the dynamics and the older tracks where there was lows and highs. Yeah. He found that hard to mix as a sound engineer because he's used to everything just being normalised. The one level, he sets up his fucking desk. Yeah. But we are talking last night, like, I mean, you're a good mate of yours, that um, Follow Me remix, you know, Mark did. Mark yeah. Sherry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the, what was that? That, um, that was there as well, was it not? No, no. No, Mark, it was a Mark. Mark Sherry? Yeah, he did it. The bottom end is phenomenal. Yeah. Sounds fantastic. Yeah. And it is really modern production, but it's still got the d- dynamics of sounds. You yeah. know, it's not too clouded, you yeah. know, where they pushed it, maxed it out, but it's not in your face, you know, like yeah. hurting. Yeah. Mark Masters, he's really technical as well, and he knows about the space to yeah. breathe and all that. And that's, he probably put a lot of time into that, making yeah. sure. And whereas a lot of guys now, they just, normalise it to a point where it hurts it sounds great at home but take it to a club and it's ripped your head off yeah, it's just <laughs> fucking there's no way to go it's just no. yeah and, and you know for a DJ playing in a club you really notice it mm-hmm. you know old, old timer well I'm wearing old timers <laughs> you go oh gee the bottom end's good here <laughs> it's roll rocking now you know yeah, yeah. and you really it makes a big difference in that bass rolls yep. not not just thumps rolls as well you can hear it where it's not just you know like just a you know, like mid-range ripping your head off like all the big room stuff mm. that they're putting out now, you know. It sounds good for a second, but your ears start to hurt after a while. Yeah. You know, which is not what you want. You want to feel it. Yep. You know. No, that's true. I think that's, I don't know, they're, they're jaded a bit. They just want in, short-term impact. Well, I think that's what it is. I think it's just instant, but then they, their ears get fried and then their attention goes. Yeah, exactly. And maybe that's how... The club scene's noise thriving. I don't know. I mean, I'm yeah, I don't know. Just, it's it's hard to say, isn't yeah. it? You know, whether it's that bass sound that sort of took off, you know, with all the, the diplos and stuff. You know, whether that the impact of that mid range in the bottom end. I don't know. It's hard to say. It may be. I mean, I know, to, I know a lot of guys that are DJing now, with like student nights and everything, and they're saying, you know, for tracks in for more than a minute, the crowd's lost interest. Yeah. You know, like six, seven, eight minute tracks is they could never play that. It needs to be just boom right to the drop, next drop, next drop, next yeah. drop. Yeah, and what style of music is that? Just like commercial dance. Yeah, and commercial dance. Student nights. But the, all those tracks though, they don't, they've only got one idea. That's yep. that's why you have to mix it's out. It's just cutting it right in and away, isn't it? But that's yeah. why you have to mix out because there's, there's, no, there's nothing left in there. Yeah. You've already got to the point within the first minute, well, there's nothing left to listen to. That's you know, bad. like, uh, oh, uh, you know, that old, old... Uh, <laughs> no, I'm not going to go there. No. <laughs> So, no, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> winding things up, can we pick? Well, first of all, if somebody's want to check out your stuff, you got a Facebook page. Yep, Facebook page. What is it? I've got my redo on my website, so I haven't got that up at the moment. Yeah, that's a bit, I'm a bit slow about that. I've got to redo that. Yeah, they're all, <laughs> I've been doing my ambient out. all the rage I hear. <laughs> I've been doing my ambient. I've got this a bit lazy on the old yeah. uh, web thing, but I'm getting back into it. I'll be right. there. Yep, I've still got all that stuff though. Yeah, so what is your Facebook if people want to visit you? So it's just Pee Wee Ferris yep. on Facebook. Is there a SoundCloud or There yeah. is a SoundCloud. I haven't updated much of it, so be for something to dig in and It's still there. Yeah. Yeah. I've got to put more stuff on it. Less we I'm yeah. not as I'm not as uh, savvy as you, I think. I, I, I'm not really on top of it, but every now and again <laughs> I'll put some mixes up. Um so if we are winding things up, 
if you want to pick. But there is, like, there is uh, same on the sound club, on all of them. Yeah. But it's just don't expect the brand new stuff yet. Yeah, yeah but, um, people can dig in there and find out more about what some old stuff. About and some older mixes. Um, and, and to finish the show off. I think I there's think a good video could... from last night they're going to put up, so you can look out for that. What's that? The there's sex film? The video night? last night. Well, he was crazy. Yeah, it was an old school night, so you can get that. Filming and yeah, all that. A good 4K recording. 4K video. <laughs> So we're looking forward to it. He, he didn't video, he videoed me, I think. Yeah. I just, I came in and I saw the dude in a ladder. And I was like, what the hell is he doing? He's got the camera he was, on your he face. He got the camera, it's good. Yeah, it might be good. Yeah, so, look, I look forward to it. Yeah, we look forward to that. Um, so I think, you know, if you want to pick, I'd love to, if we can, pull you one of your ambient tracks and also... Yeah, I'll give you one of the ambient tracks to put up. Another track that's maybe either one of yours or a track that you think is cutting it for you just now. Right now, okay. Ooh. I know it's always a hard one. Oh, jeez, this is a hard question. Yeah. What's something coming? Or you can just cut to one of your, maybe one of the pieces that you did for the Olympic. Yep. Uh, okay. It's just Why to give I... people an idea, of, you know, the, the, the broad spectrum of music you're producing. Jeez, I've got to think about it now. Ooh, put me on the spot. Why don't we surprise them? Right. Well, you can think about that and you yeah. can send me it and then we can stick it in. Yeah. I, can we play one of the ambient ones maybe as a Abs- final track? 100%. Because that's, that's where you're at right now. Up this week, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But you're going to nail this album. Oh, and, you're putting this album. It's putting it out. Yeah, I've sort of. Yeah, I'm going to move on now. But as far as music, I've done that for the last four months. Yeah. Because you know when you, it's sometimes with life at home. Yeah. It's hard to get things done. But yeah, I did the album. The <laughs> getting the balance right. Yeah. Um, and working on other projects. So I was quite impressed. I did in four months. That was pretty good for me. That's awesome. Man. I mean. I'm not like like I used to be, you know, just studio bound and nobody else around me. Yeah, <laughs> it's harder and harder to lock the studio door now, isn't it? Yes, very hard. Yeah. <laughs> well, mate, it's been absolute pleasure catching up with you. No, it's been really good. And documenting your your journey through dance music. Thanks for your time. <laughs> no, it's been really good. See you later, mate. All right, see you later. <laughs>
1994 Old School Show. 